when we think about autonomy, uh, there are a lot of players that need to play it outright in order for us to uh, to enjoy the full potential of, of, of autonomy. So it has to do also with the technology providers, but we see ourselves a part of this revolution. It has to do with the operators, right, who will bring the assets. And like you said, it also has to do with uh, regulators or cities or states. So yes, we're, a discussion, we're in discussions with all the players. Um, and sometimes you see that some players know, I know, or assume they know how the future would look like. Uh, some of them say, you know what, we don't know yet. And let's maybe go on a pilot and learn more. Hi, M4 Edge listeners. Thanks for being curious. With today's episode, we kick off a mini-series on mobility. If that term seems vague, that's because it is. But I promise we're not just going to talk about walking around. In today's tech parlance, and in city planning parlance, mobility includes a bunch of different issues. But they have one thing in common. They shape the quality of our everyday lives. How we get to work, to school, or to our friend's house can make the difference between a pleasant daily city experience and a barely tolerable one. And one way or another, it's going to change because of technology. So the mobility umbrella covers lots of things, including, for example, autonomous vehicles or driverless cars, call them what you will. But actually, we're not covering those directly in this mobility miniseries, though, of course, it's on our radar. And we'll definitely do some episodes on AVs in the future. But artificial intelligence plays a role in other parts of mobility, like, for example, fleet management for which you can imagine optimization algorithms would be crucial. The company we discuss on today's episode is called Fleetonomy, and they are building fleet management systems specifically with autonomy in mind. Fleetonomy's offering is designed to maximize vehicle utilization, which is the key to fleet management. It does this by leveraging data from the car itself, from the fleet owner's data, and from multiple public sources, and then by layering some machine learning algorithms on top of that data. Fleet management is part of that landscape of mobility we talked about, but both the domain and that word include other forms of getting around. Mobility includes e-scooters, ride shares, bike shares, electric vehicles and their charging stations, traffic management, road congestion pricing, and more. In addition to fleetonomy, this miniseries will include Waycare, a traffic management company, and MAAS Global, that's M-A-A-S Global, makers of the software WIM, which is the first mobility-as-a-service MAAS provider. When you put all these together, you can begin to envision a really different transportation future, one in which how we move around, when, with whom, and in what mode, and maybe even to where, can be dramatically different from the way it looks now. Given how crucial mobility is to economic activity, and here I'm using the word in its plain English meaning, this sector's transformations can really reverberate widely. Once we've aired all three episodes, Marco and I will add a brief post-game conversation discussing mobility and the three companies together. We hope you enjoy. And without further ado, here's Israel Duanis, CEO of Fleetonomy. Israel Duanis of Fleetonomy. Thank you for joining the podcast. Welcome to M4 Edge. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here with you. 
Israel. Very thank you very much for joining us. And we have a standard opening, which is meant to make you very comfortable and relaxed for the course of the conversation. <laughs> and our standard uh, ice-breaking opening is, uh, why on earth are you doing this? <laughs> and more specifically, <laughs> is, there, a great question. is there something um, in your background, your previous experience that made you decide that this was the problem you wanted to tackle? Yeah, so this is a very good question. Um, I was always very interested in automotive technologies. Um, in my early days at the Army, so I was part of the team that actually built an autonomous vehicle, and we also were able to win the, the second place of the Autonomous Vehicle DARPA Challenge. Um, later on, when I did my master's degree, I also had my final project, what had to do with building a management system for dynamic shuttles and on-demand transportation services. So I really like this um, in a, on a technological perspective, but even more importantly, um, I live in Tel Aviv. I live there with my family. It's an amazing city, um, but we do have a big issue with traffic, with pollution, with public transportation, which is not so advanced. Um, you know, really simple things like picking up my girls from kindergarten uh, and doing that on time is, is nearly impossible. So I guess my passion for automotive tech, along with how bad day-to-day -day transportation is uh, here back home, made me realize that I wanted to do something to change it. So I looked for a partner, and I knew Lior, my co-founder and CTO, from the Army. We were both uh, literally sitting uh, chair by chair in the same uh, top secret team, and he is the best CTO I know. And you know, we're also friends. So we liked this idea and we just decided to start working on that. And we did so from a small apartment in Tel Aviv. Um, and fast forward, we're here today. I, I know that uh, for years there was talk of um, the, the Tel Aviv subway, which didn't arrive and didn't arrive and didn't arrive. And, uh, you know, I've, I've experienced yeah. that traffic. We're still talking. Right. <laughs> I mean, there is construction, uh, there is progress, but it's not here yet. I mean, Tel Aviv is changing. You can see today a lot of scooters, for example. Um, so there is a change. But first of all, back then when we found the company, we didn't find that yet. And even today, um, it's still a hustle to try and get from place to place. You know, based on what I've seen in Italy, I'm not sure if scooters will make the situation better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> and what you've seen in San Francisco, no doubt. <laughs> in yeah. in he, doesn't, he, doesn't mean the Vespa, he doesn't mean the Vespa scooters like in Rome. He means, little, <laughs> right? Vespas they've had forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Israel, Fleetonomy uh, helps to optimize... Uh, a vast range of activities, the use of the fleet of vehicles. Your customers include fleet owners, automakers, mobility service providers. Can you walk us through each one of them, each one of your customers, users, and help us understand how Fleetonomy helps each one of them and what services they pay Fleetonomy for? Sure. So if you zoom out and think uh, for a second about what we do uh, in our mission, so we see ourselves as a company that is building the next generation of fleet management platforms, um, focusing on creating higher fleet utilization, uh, improving efficiency, and automatically synchronizing riders, vehicles, um, and drivers, uh, and, and meeting also maintenance constraints. Now, if you think about all of 
the industries that you mentioned. You talk about scooters, um, ride sharing, car sharing. So at the end of the day, they're all assets, right? And we see today that almost all of these industries are talking a lot about can we meet utilization? How can we become more profitable? Uh, you can see stories about Chariot, right, that closed. Uh, there's a lot going on now talking about the IPO of Lyft. And one thing that we believe, and I think we're lucky to be in this space today, is the fact that everybody's trying to understand how they can meet utilization, make that higher and become uh, more profitable. And into that area, we step in because we believe there's a need to look on demand in a different way. You have a lot of data out there. This data, if you utilize that in the right way, you can understand the demand. And if you understand the demand, you have a better chance to meet supply. Um, whether you're operating car sharing, scooters, ride sharing, and more. So I think when you look at the technological aspect of, of, this, of these industries, so they have the, the, the same challenges. So yes, front end may look different, right? The user stories might be different, but the challenges are the same. And that's, these are the areas that we are solving for all of these industries. So we understand that what you do generally is fleet optimization. And we understand that you saw an opportunity with new utilization of data, but what is it exactly that you do? How do you optimize the fleets and how do you make money by doing that? Okay, so the way we, we believe this big opportunity should be uh, approached is first of all, help our customers, which among them you, you can find today, top tier automakers, current companies, um, public transportation operators better understand their demand. So understanding demand has to do with, first of all, um, leveraging all the data sources that affect your demand. It can be traffic, weather, sometimes hotel occupancy, flights. So you first need to collect all that data. And, and we do that. And out of there, you need to crunch uh, the data and, and turn that into insights. And we help our customers turn these insights into into actions and the actions are basically meeting the supply to this demand so it's also knowing what will be the demand in advance but also uh, being proactive about what we think will happen in the day and being proactive means giving the right amount of vehicles dispatching them in the right way uh, positioning them in the right way giving them out to maintenance in times that demand for your service is low and we believe that by choosing this this approach and using uh, data uh, driven technologies that were not available, you know, maybe 20 or 30 years ago, companies can be much more efficient. And as we see today, the industry is moving to businesses that are much more on demand, they're more real time, they're more personalized. So there's also a big need uh, of a different approach when it comes to operating your fleet. So there's also a need from the market to operate your fleet differently. And there's also a thing that regarding existing challenges that as a free operator you had in the past 50 or 70 years, all of a sudden we can help you be more efficient by using uh, uh, new technologies to solve these issues. Does the service differ if it's a taxi company or if it's a fleet of delivery vehicles or a fleet of e-scooters? Is the basic package the same? And, and do, you get, do you get paid in the same way? So the basic package will look the same. We, we consider ourselves as a SaaS company. So our customers pay 
per usage. Um, it's an easy to, to deploy solution. Now we do see that sometimes if you have different, uh, you know, a delivery service will act differently sometimes than um, transporting people from place to place. So, so some packages will look the same, but sometimes there's also a need for uh, but basically the basic package looks the same. Sorry, and you said per usage. What is a usage? What, how, what's yeah, that? sure. So usage, we mean you pay per vehicle. I mean, if you look at what uh, customers were paying in, in the past, you know, since fleet management is out there, so you usually pay per vehicle. So we're not changing the way our customers are, are paying. I mean, we, we really want that the deployment of our platform will be easy. And easy is not the, only the way that you technically deploy the platform. It's also how you go through procurement and how easy this is to, uh, to buy. So uh, we use this as easy as possible to use a platform. So Israel, as you were mentioning, uh, the value of fleet optimization is the insights you give to your customers will allow them to deploy the vehicles and have them ready closer to where the demand is. So I'm curious to dig a bit more into the sources of data. You've mentioned not just the traffic data, but also data like hotel occupancy rates, like flights, which I suppose helps, uh, for example, car rental companies to have enough cars ready near airports when that is needed. Can you tell us a bit more in detail, where do you get the data? What are the sources? Whether you also get data from the vehicle themselves? Yeah, sure. So data is a very important um, you know, thing in our industry. Um, and as we said, our business model is not about monetizing data, it's about selling license. But when you look at the data sources, your question, so I would say there are a few layers. The first layer is public data, data that you can, you can find out there. Um, it comes to traffic, weather, and things like that, which it's just a big challenge of how to choose the right public providers. And as you can imagine, there's a lot of data out there. So what's the most reliable one? How does it change from region to region? So it's not only collecting, it's also taking the right insights from that data. On top of that, um, sometimes we partner because not all data is available. So we have uh, data providers that can fill in some of the layers uh, that are missing in some cities. And then there's the third layer, and that's um, you know patterns of our customer. So our customer can say, let's look and try to understand what are the patterns of demand for our service in this location and that location um, or this uh, segment of, of customers. And then it's, it's basically their data. So it's finding patterns in their data. They're owning the data. It's their data. Uh, but when you combine the public data and um, the, customer, uh, the customer's data, you can find some, some very, very interesting insights. And I think it's, it's important to mention that we're not about the insights. I mean, insights is part of what we provide, but we are helping our customers take action. So insight is only one of the uh, values you can get by using a platform. But at the end of the day, we believe if you cannot connect this insight to an action, so the insight is not very valuable. So it's taking these insights, both from the customer itself and both from public uh, uh, data, and, and in real time or close to real time, depends on the scenario, uh, sending you what you need to do with your fleet. And so does part of the, does part of the package include some sort of automation on the customer side. I don't know if, if there's an, you know, an autonomous vehicle in the fleet, would it you know, get a message instantly to reroute or to you know, use this opportunity to, to get maintenance? 
or is there is there a requirement for sort of an immediacy of human action on the other end once the instruction or the insight is received so that the action is taken? We are building our IP in a way that um, will suit automation. I mean, the vision of our company is at the end to provide an operating system to autonomous entities. And that's why every building block that we're building today uh, needs to meet requirements of also doing it automatically. Thing is that, first of all, you know, we can debate when exactly autonomous error will, will be here, you know, fully deployed. And in addition, there's also the, the thing that customers don't always like to have full automation, right? They might say, we want to see that your technology can create full automation, but we still want to be in control. And therefore, there's, there's the technology that we're providing today, which supports full automation. Uh, but we're also providing the ability for the operator to be in the loop, to, to choose um, what they would like it to do, sometimes even to configure the decision trees. And, and it really depends on the customer, but they can get the variety of either full automation to very manual uh, process. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. So there's something particularly interesting in the way you're, you're, you're framing this, I think, in that you're designing... A, an offering for a, a macro environment that's not fully built out, right? I don't know if you're, when you say full autonomy, if that's level three or level four, but let's assume it's it's all the way. And as you said, it's not here yet. So how do you do your planning? I mean, are you building a product that doesn't have full, you know, that can't be fully utilized until X date? Do you do your your financial modeling around an assumption of whatever, you know, 2025 or something? How, how do you think about when your product is ready for market? So we are aware of the timelines. I mean, uh, I think all of us here will be very surprised if we'll see everything fully autonomous in the coming, you know, before December 19th. I mean, I'd be happy to do so, but we will be surprised. And, and I think because we have a good understanding of what will happen in the coming years, so we also were able to make sure that the roadmap, the technology uh, fits that. So at the end of the day, we're talking with the vehicle, right? This could be through telematics, and it could be through an app with the driver. Uh, the way we see that, you know, if it's of course, generally speaking, you will have different use cases. Uh, we will just change the way we communicate with the vehicle once it becomes more autonomous. And I can tell you, for example, one of the things we're doing today when it comes to routing, so our routing system is a turn-by-turn -turn navigation system that assumes you don't really have a driver. Because one of the things we're talking about demand prediction, for example, one of the things that will be very important in the autonomous era is how do, we, how do you replace the fact that all of us have our best practices and we know when you have events in the city and what ways should we avoid. Uh, we know a lot of things that we take into action when we drive. Now, imagine, you know, having no drivers, you sometimes will have uh, to manage the, the idle time because bringing me from here to my home, it's, you know, it's easy, just you know, open ways or in the alternative. But what should I, what should a driver do once I'm home? When should, when, where should she or he go? Uh, so today it's solved by our human brain and the future it needs to be solved somehow. And therefore, we're already today giving you a route, a route which is turn by turn, taking demand prediction into account. And it's only one example of the way that we think. We're providing value for our customers today because we 
do believe, I mean, that's the way we work as a company. We want to provide value for you today. But we're also making sure that we're able to provide value once autonomy is here and as long as that takes. You mentioned at the beginning that what drove you to start this venture is uh, the realization of uh, traffic problems in Tel Aviv and how the limits to mobility today actually impact our lives. You're also saying now that uh, as autonomous vehicles become more widespread, the fleetonomy will be able to add more value, but also the fleetonomy technology will impact the way in which autonomous vehicles are deployed. So the question is, uh, are you already involved in discussions with the city authorities in Tel Aviv or elsewhere? in relation to both the, the current impact on mobility and also prospects for autonomous vehicles becoming being adopted more quickly? So it's a very good point. I think that when we think about autonomy, uh, there are a lot of players that need to play it outright in order for us to, uh, to enjoy the full potential of, of, you know, of autonomy. So it has to do also with the technology providers that we see ourselves a part of this revolution. It has to do with the operators, right, who will bring the assets. And like you said, it also has to do with uh, regulators or cities or states. So yes, we're, a discussion, we're in discussions with all the players. Um, and sometimes you see that some players know, I know, or assume they know how the future would look like. Uh, some of them say, you know what, we don't know yet. And let's maybe go on a pilot and learn more. Um, just uh, recently, there was I read something interesting about uh, Portland, which uh, shared the pilot of scooters um, of what happened there. And it was, for me, it was super interesting. You know, you see some cities say, we don't want to have scooters here, right? I mean, that's, let, let's stop for a sec, let's think about it, and then let's, you know, reshuffle uh, what was going on in our city. And then you see a different approach with it, which says, look, there's a change. Let's try and understand the change. Let's pilot it. Let's support regulation. Let's work with the operators and the software providers. So I think there are a lot of players here. I think the approach that each and every player will choose is um, crucial for how quickly we'll be able to uh, complete this transition. Uh, and, and of course, we're talking with all, with all players um, when it comes to looking into the future. Are there cities that, based on your experience, seem to be further ahead in the process uh, or uh, any best practices you're already identifying that you think should be adopted more widely? So, yeah, it comes back to what we, what we spoke before about uh, can regulators help accelerate these processes? So if you look at the states, um, what we've seen in Phoenix in the past few years, I think, had a very big impact, right? not only about uh, its, its regulation, but it brought Waymo there, and it brings businesses, uh, and it can create a, a, a large ecosystem that is being built over you know, a few decisions that, that, these, the, that, that city decided to do, um, or the state. So we do see in the cities that we're operating in, uh, it can be in Europe or in the States, um, some cities are very progressed and are willing to take uh, the chance and uh, some are not. I mean, I don't want to mention those that are not because, um, you know, we're trying to be positive here. Uh, but I, for example, I can tell that Tel Aviv is really changing. What, what, do, they, what do they rhyme with? <laughs> <laughs> Bel Aviv. Uh, I'm kidding. I mean, look, look at Tel Aviv. Yeah, uh, there's a big change uh, that we're seeing now. 
I mean, half of my uh, employees here are getting to work by scooters. Um, if you'd asked me that two and a half years ago, I would say, I don't know, no chance. So I'm optimistic. I mean, we see cities that weren't really willing to talk about that uh, three years ago going through a change. Um, so even now, cities are saying, some of them are saying, no, I think the, the trend uh, is positive. Uh, it's on the question of when and not if. So I'm very optimistic about that. Yeah, I mean, look, I think one of the reasons why, there are a few reasons why cities are hesitant. One of them is simply, you know, people's fear of autonomy generally and fear of, of robots. And I'm... Um, though I'm, I'm generally the pessimistic one, I think in that case, I'm, op I'm optimistic and people will get over those fears. But the second or one of the other reasons why cities are unsure of, um, of you know, whether or not to embrace this new trend has less to do with fear of, of uh, you know, robots gone wild um, and more to do with traffic management and fear of continued urban sprawl. And so I think it's interesting in some sense that you're coming at this from an angle not of providing the car, but of managing the fleet and optimizing the fleet. And in a way, I think that could serve to alleviate some cities' fears. And I think that, you know, theoretically, there's a, there's a way to make a case to a city, to a regional planner, let's say, um, to say, look, we understand that this could this could create more sprawl, but in fact, if you've got fleet management um, that's either a hedge against that option or in fact it's a way to uh, to produce the opposite effect it's a way to produce a a less traffic intensive region is that is that an approach you've you've taken do you, or do you, first of all do you think I'm right and if yes is that an approach you've you've taken I think you're completely right I mean we totally agree with just with what, with what you just said and if you'd look at, at you know, the past few years um, on, I don't know, Lyft and Uber and cities, right? So at the beginning, everything was great. Some people said, you know, it will reduce congestion and, and everything will be just amazing. If you talk today with um, people at the city um, and the municipality, so I think most of them will say, wait, um, there, there's a growing need for the service. I mean, the service is great, right? I've used Uber and Lyft a lot and it's, it's, it's a really good way to move from place to place. But in some cities, it's just brought more uh, vehicles into the city. So, so now cities understand that, okay, we have um, the market educated, right? Uh, or most of the market educated. Now, how do we make sure that also the city itself is safe, if you like? Um, and I think our approach, I mean, when we started the company, we didn't think about that. You know, think about a few years ago, Everybody was thinking that once you go into mobility as a service, also congestion will be solved. And what we've seen, we start with trying to maximize uh, your utility, uh, to, to, to optimize your, your fleet and utilization. And what we've seen is there's another need because also the cities are looking for only the exact number of vehicles you need to serve um, the people in the city and not more. So. Yeah, we're very happy to hear um, also you say that, but also the market uh, <laughs> say these, these things because we're exactly in these areas. Have you kind of following the same line, have you reached out to or, or have you, are there prospective customers or, or actual customers that are 
city transit agencies. You know, I, I know that bus management is a is a huge deal, and there's this thought that, particularly for last mile problems, integrating uh, fleet management and autonomy solutions into mass transit would be a would be a boon to to transit. Is that an, do you have customers uh, or prospective customers in that area? Yeah, so that's also an area we're operating in. It's not only the bus operators. If you look today, you also have train operators. I mean, if you'd ask uh, the public uh, uh, transport authorities how they think about the future in the coming years, so they would not tell you that it's only fixed routes or it's only uh, a dynamic routes. We'll say it's a combination because, I mean, some of the fixed routes are okay. So we want these routes um, to be in place, but there's a question of how do we do the last mile? So, and I think today when you talk to people in the market, they already understand that. And then you all of a sudden have a need from the bus operators, uh, from the train operators, anyone that is considered a fixed route. So they still still have business, but now they understand that if the last or first mile is solved, that will create more business for them. Because all of a sudden more people will be able to use the fixed route that they couldn't use, you know, a few years ago. So it's also a very, very interesting uh, industry. I mean, as a, as a startup, we always need to think about all the span of uh, customers or industries you can approach. You also need to think about the selling cycle, right? So um, we work also with the operators or the automakers and also with these entities. Um, and it, I think it's also interesting to see the selling cycle getting uh, shorter as these uh, kind of customers understand that there's a big need. On this topic, actually, can you help us think through the impact on automakers? Because uh, one argument could be that uh, as you improve the efficiency of fleet utilization, essentially what this does is uh, helping to provide more mobility service with a given stock of vehicles, which as we argued earlier, one implication, a possible negative implication is those vehicles are more often on the roads, you might create more congestion, but also if uh, you utilize the capacity of the existing fleet better, you could argue you need fewer vehicles. So does that have a negative impact on automakers? So I can, I can tell you from what we are experiencing today in the market, um, there was a period of time in which this topic was, you know, was spoken now. I mean, what should we do? Uh, should we, um, you know, support the trend and by that also maybe hurt our selling in the future? But I can tell you today, we don't really hear these, um, these automakers talking like that. I think they already understand that if they want to be relevant in the coming 10, 15, 20 years, um, they need to embrace the change and to be part of it. And I think it's very, I mean, it's healthy, healthy for them as companies. And we see today that these companies already, they've opened business units that have to do with uh, mobility services. You can find today a lot of automakers that are already operating services. Can, some of them can be ride sharing, some can be um, uh, rent, uh, subscription. You can see today uh, a lot of, of new ways for them to say, we also want to provide uh, services. I mean, it's some of them even say we understand that it's moving from buying a car to buying an experience. And by providing experience for you as a customer, for us as customers, they might even create the attach, you know, are attached to the brand through the experience and not to the vehicle itself. 
So we do see today the industry shifting, I think in a very interesting way. It's not like a few years ago, which some would say, you know, if this will hurt us and therefore we're not going to take any action because this and that. Uh, and I'm very happy to see this change. Um, and we see that also with our customers. I want to go back um, to the question of data before, um, you know, Marco was asking how you collect the data. Um, I'm interested in who owns the data, what do the customers get to do with the data, what do you get to do with, with their data. There's this, you know, there's this Harvard professor, Shoshana Zuboff, who's got a, a book out right now called uh, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism or something like that. And she's written about these issues before, but this, this book is getting some press recently and it's about the, the power in her view, you know, unwarranted of the big data gathering companies. Um, and so, so this is uh, it's sort of in the, in the zeitgeist right now. So what do you, what do you do with the data? What, what are you allowed to do? What do your customers know you do? You know, how does that work? So our business model is not about monetizing the data. It's uh, about providing a license to our platform um, and therefore nothing really changes in the data ownership model and Fleetonomy's operations. So for us, data is a tool. Uh, it helps us build, like we said, demand prediction models and other capabilities that serve our customers. Um, and we do so while meeting the needed data regulations. Uh, like I said before, we're also operating in Europe and GDPR is a big thing. Um, so I think it's easier for us um, not to even deal with the data challenges because that's not our monetization channel. Uh, we're selling you a license. We're selling you um, our uh, insights and actions. Um, our customers are fully transparent with what is happening with their data. Um, so we feel pretty comfortable um, with the question of who owns the data. Got it. Okay. That's an easy answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, along, along those lines, so uh, until you've got a fully autonomous fleet, um, you know, there are drivers behind the wheel. Uh, is driver behavior, driver performance something that you track and then feed back to the fleet owner? So today we don't, uh, I mean, when you look at fleet management, it's, it's a huge market, right? There's a lot of things you have to do. Uh, areas of fuel consumption, gear restrictions, driver behavior. So, and we had to choose what we're doing now and what not. So driver behavior is not part of things that, um, that we look into nowadays. Um, but I think on the, other, on the other hand, you have um, the riders. And when we talk about demand prediction, I think one of the interesting things, uh, we're looking into patterns of how customers are using the assets of the you know, automakers, car rental companies, and more, everyone that is operating uh, a mobility or delivery service, that is becoming something interesting when you try to understand what's the best fleet that needs to serve um, your business. I mean, different kinds of customers, uh, you don't need to know the exact you know, name or anything about the customer, but to generally know what the patterns of your customers. And once you understand that, once you know what the SLA that your customers are looking for, um, once you know what kind of vehicle they want, once you know many questions like that, you're able to, to meet the fleet needs to the behavior of your, um, your customers. So it's not dealing with the drivers, 
um, we believe it's more important to, when you look into the future also to understand how the end customers ourselves, how will we use these assets. Now here is something that worries me. And I fully take your point, Israel, that you're not selling data, you're selling software as a service. So the your business model is immune from the privacy and data sensitivity issues. But I'm now envisioning this dystopian future where once we have autonomous vehicles, and so providers of the service, of the mobility service, can distract me from driving because I'm not driving, I'm just sitting in the vehicles and they know a lot about me, then there will be a big market for providing advertising within the vehicle and then having information about my preferences, my behavior, where again, use, be used, as there's already in other avenues uh, to target advertising to me. So I think it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how some of these issues uh, play out. Again, having you know, fully understood and fully acknowledged that uh, this is not something that has an impact on, on your business model. Speaking I'm, of, I'm of, rubbing off on you, Marco. <laughs> you know, you're having a very bad influence. I, st I started off being so optimistic before you and I started this podcast. <laughs> I'm gradually sliding off to <laughs> deep dystopian pessimism about the impact of technology. I should have known this. Sorry, go, go ahead, Isabel. I mean, to your point, uh, this is completely not an area that we're taking part of or uh, would like to take part of. Uh, but when I, when I think for a sec about myself, so when I think about my mobile or about, you know, the car that will drive me, I mean, you might have additional um, insights about myself, but already today you have my GPS depending on my, uh, you know, mobile uh, settings. So we are already exposed. And I think that there's a, a it's a broader question. It's so not only has to do with autonomous or not. It has to do with the way that we live today. So the way I see it, if we have a problem with that, and I agree that there are a lot of questions we need to ask ourselves about the market with um, having ads being pushed into our screens in our vehicle, I think you have these problems already today. So I don't want anyone, anyone, you know, anyone to wait until the autonomous era to solve these issues because they need to be addressed. Exactly. You talked earlier about the importance of uh, partnership, and I think uh, Fleetonomy has a partnership with Microsoft, right? Uh, can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, so basically, we don't really talk about our partnerships currently. Um, Microsoft is, uh, we've partnered with them as part of their scale up um, program uh, here in Tel Aviv. Uh, it's an exclusive program for startups, and uh, we just joined that uh, joined the platform. But we are working today with, uh, as I said, automakers and car rental companies and operators. And once we are able, we'll be happy also to share with you guys um, their names. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> um, so that only means we need to go on another podcast, you know, in the future. That was my name. So when when you. Uh, <laughs> When you optimize a fleet, um, how much of the is, is one of the variables you optimize for? Uh, presumably, there's O and M cost. How about fuel consumption? Can can you have the the primary variable be um, be fuel or fuel cost? Yes. So one of the things that I think that our customers like is the fact that they 
um, can it, it, they can configure the decision tree that we're working with. Uh, think about it like, uh, you know, you have a cost function. It doesn't have to be real dollar value. Uh, but you can say that for your business, um, shield consumption, like you said, is top priority. Some can say, um, you know, we have our holding costs of the vehicles and we want to make sure that the utilization is maximized. And that's the first priority. Um, so the, the way that we onboard our customers, they have a really short process in which they just choose according to their business constraints. Uh, how they would like the business to, to be operated, which uh, insights and which actions they will take. Uh, and then our platform just automatically does this, these dispatching or rebalancing. Of course, like we said before, it doesn't have, always have to be fully automated. It can also give you uh, a manual procedure uh, to do that with, with the operator. So yes, of course, fuel consumption is one of these parameters, but it doesn't have to be top priority. Uh, some companies can say, you know what, in the, in the coming month, we want to put for, you know, put aside the costs. We want to maximize um, our customers' satisfaction. We want to meet SLA because we have this and that, you know, business constraints. Um, so we believe that this uh, configuration that our customers can use is a very powerful tool for them. You've used an acronym twice now. I'm not positive I caught it. You're saying SLA? Yeah, service level agreement. I mean, ah, um, okay. I, I see myself as a, a consumer, a customer of, of Uber, right, for example. And I want to make sure um, that in my agreement with them, you know, 95% of the time we'll get a ride within three minutes. Um, so that's that's the way we look at it. Yeah, okay. So on, on fuel consumption, um, follow this thread for, for a little bit. One of the expectations with autonomous vehicles is that many of them will also be electric vehicles. There's this, you know, shared autonomous electric vehicle save concept. Um, how do you see how do you see that fitting in? How do you see the interaction with the grid and optimizing for you know time of use charges? Is that something that you're worrying about yet? Is it something that you're you know you've already begun to to program for where is that in your in your you know five ten year outlook for what this company and technology does um so we're not we're not worrying very happy with the, with this change um both as a you know on the tech side and also you know what will this will do to our future we already have today um partners which we're working with also on evs and some of the things are are similar uh but you also get um, new new challenges when you want to dispatch, for example, an EV-based, let's say, ride-sharing service. Because you also need to take into account the battery status. You need to take into account where um, the charging places are. Do you have a key or not? What kind of charging point is it? Um, you know, the grid, like you said. So uh, you, you need, you know, to integrate into the telematics. It's not only an app that can give you the GPS. So there's a lot of things here that become um, additional layers on top of, of the regular ride sharing that we know doesn't have to do with EV. Um, so I think one of the things that we've been, done, been doing in the past uh, year is also working on this aspect because like you said, the safe is something that we believe autonomy needs to take part of all of it. And electric is something uh, important. It is a change that is happening today. We already see some of the services using that. 
um, and we've been able to show really good results when it comes to operating EVs as well. Let's switch back for a second to Fleetonomy itself, Israel. If I'm not mistaken, the company is about three years old. I'm curious, uh, how big is the team right now and uh, any key learnings, lessons that you've taken from the, the growth of the company so far? Yeah, so we are today 15 people, uh, one five. Um, I think that the best... Uh, it might be pretty obvious, but you know we were talking a lot about the business side. I think um, you need to bring the right people uh, to join. I think building a company is something that um, is, is super exciting. You know, you have uh, good days, you have bad days, and I think once you make sure you have the most professional people and also with the right vibe around you, um, that makes this uh, an incredible ride. So. Uh, it might sound, you know, trivial, like, you know, just surrounding yourself by good people and a lot of people say that, but, but I think that's priceless. Um, so that's my key thing, you know, bring the right people. Um, and it's not only about... That's a mistake I made with, that's a mistake I made with Michael. I don't hear you. <laughs> well played. Uh, yeah, so your next startup, Marco, you know, do your homework. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah but when it comes to people so it's important and i think it's also about choosing the industry um choosing what you what you solve and i think i was lucky um to to choose um an industry which which creates good and then you know you work a lot um you build a company it's difficult but then when you see and you you create value that makes people happier and the way they transport, and the way they change their business. So I think that's a big thing. So if you can choose uh, the industry and the, the product you're building, uh, you know, focus on areas that, that create good you know, for the world. That's, again, something which might sound trivial, but the, you know, every entrepreneur that decides what to, to go on, you, you have a lot of options. Um, some of them are better, and some of them um, not always create a lot of good for the world. And I think it's a, it's a very important thing when you take that decision. Any, um, we've got uh, a couple minutes left. First of all, anything that you wanted to cover or you wanted to uh, get across before we go to our final question? Uh, nope, I think we covered a lot. Um, we did? Yeah, I think it was super interesting, no? Don't you think? For, for, for us, it was definitely <laughs> super interesting. So uh, yeah, just like we have the, you know, the early the early ease you into the interview question about, uh, you know, why on earth are you doing this? Our, our typical last question is also, uh, you know, nice and easy. Look ahead 20 years and where do you see mobility? Where do you see fleet management? Where do you see fleet economy? Well, we imagine cars on the road today. We imagine people driving their own vehicles, right? Now, imagine the same people getting around in cars, but take away all of the drivers. I mean, it sounds pretty chaotic, right? How will the cars know where to go? Which tasks to take care of? What will happen with the car once the rider reaches their destination? And in a world where cars ride themselves that are held by large fleet operators, you need some sort of a smart operation center. Um, and that, that center will tell each vehicle where it's going and efficiently handle all the different servers at real time. In 20 years, imagine an autonomous vehicle will take care of all of the day-to-day -day tasks that we have to do ourselves today, like 
going to work, delivering our groceries, um, even picking up our kids from school. The way we did that, of handling tasks, it could be deliveries or transportation or others. However, sometimes the same vehicle that might take us to work in the morning will be allocated to deliver our lunch to the office later in the day. So some cars uh, might be multi-purpose. And to manage these enormous fleets of autonomous vehicles, you need an automated operation center that will take control of, of these vehicles, and whether it's in transportation, deliveries, logistics, uh, and more. And in this future, fleetonomy will be that smart operation center managing huge fleets of automated fleets, of automated vehicles, sorry. Now, another interesting aspect of this future, the way we see it, I mean, what does all of this mean for personal vehicle ownership? And, and today, it looks like some of the biggest automakers in the world might not be around anymore in 20 years. And when we examine the market today, talking to our customers, we see that automated manufacturers are looking for ways, like we discussed before, to step into this future by taking initiatives and launching their own advanced mobility services. Uh, we see companies like Porsche and Mercedes and JLR doing that. And we believe that they have also the understanding today that they're trying to provide us as customers an experience in not only a vehicle. So there's also a very interesting change in the market, in the players. Um, we're very excited to see how that will work out. Uh, and in Fleetonomy, in this uh, big transition, we see ourselves as an operating system uh, behind all of these uh, services, mobility services. Uh, this, you know, this operating system needs to be demand responsive, personalized, real time, um, in working real time, and also operate in multiple services simultaneously. Uh, so that's also the way that we think of ourselves in this changing uh, future. I was kind of hoping you'd say something about managing fleets of flying cars, but you didn't go there. <laughs> no, <A> flying car. <laughs> that's a, a subject for a whole new discussion. Uh, okay. Not yet. Well, listen. Thank you. This has been great and really interesting. So thank you for for speaking to us. Indeed. Thanks very much, Israel. Great. Thank you so much for your time. Michael here, and before you tune out, you know the ask. Please, please, please forward this episode to someone you think will enjoy it, share it on social, help us spread the word. And as always, thanks for being curious.